the single biggest thing is find out, find the things that you love to do and focus on those and find the things that are needed in the business that aren't your favorite things to do and surround yourself with people that have those skills. Um, uh, share the share the praise and share the gratitude mm-hmm. um, and take care of your people. Hi, I'm Eric Weir, and welcome to another episode of Stuttering Your Way to Success. Today, I have a special guest, Carl Sabensky. So, Carl is a restaurateur in, in Greenville. My first visit to Greenville, almost 17 years ago now, I went to your, 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 your flagship restaurant. At that time, I lived in, in San Francisco and in Incline Village, and when I came to Greenville, I'm like, the food is pretty good here, and it was your place. So, so what got you into to the restaurant business? Well, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Um, I, uh, quite a long story, but I'll start out by saying thank you for uh, having your first dinner and your first meal at Sobeys. Um, we've been there 25 years now, and so it's pretty cool to, to hear of many people that come into Greenville and that swing by Sobeys and, and make that one of their stops. I actually grew up in New England and thought I was going to be an architect. I ventured wow. south to Clemson to study architecture. And like a lot of college students, I ran out of money, and so I got a job waiting tables and it just got in my blood. Um, I wanted to learn as much as I could about the industry and about um, hospitality. I did a little bit of cooking, but mainly I'm on the front of the house side, and I love mm-hmm. uh, meeting people and treating them and being part of their celebrations and events. Mm-hmm. And um, So that was 30-something years ago, and it stuck, and I still mm-hmm. enjoy what I do every day. How does food, does food influence culture, or does culture influence food, or is there some mix there? I mean, what's your view on that? Wow, what a great question. Um, yeah, I think it's a little combination of, of both. Um, you know, I think a lot of people will choose where they want to go based on the cuisine and the food and what the chefs are doing, and others will base it on the ambiance and the culture of the facility um, and know that they can trust they're, they're getting a great meal. I think one of the great things that, about Greenville right now is that, um, you know, we've got so many ethnic cuisines represented, mm-hmm. and we've got mm-hmm. so many tastes from not only around the U.S. and and different areas of our country, but all around the globe. And uh, I think that's one of the things that really sets us apart. As I travel, it seems to be the the trend is farm to table. Do you do you do much with that, or 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 how do you see that either being a benefit or 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 detriment to food? No, I don't think there's any detriment to it. I think it's amazing and wonderful that um, that local growers Mm -hmm. and people are out there farming the land and getting back into, um, you know, what's true and genuine and, mm-hmm. and wholesome ingredients. Uh, America's gone through such a transformation with processed foods and all of that. So the restaurants that are uh, bringing in raw ingredients um, are, you know, in my opinion, the places that we want to be. But right. when you can promote and talk about a local individual that's um, adding to the economy and creating jobs and farming the land and then bringing, you know, just yesterday we got morel mushrooms. They're, they're only in season for about one month, maybe four or five weeks. Okay. And there's a gentleman in Liberty, South Carolina that had five pounds of morel mushrooms. And our chefs just went crazy yesterday when they were delivered. And oh, we well. them up between the restaurants. And, <laughs> really? You know, and now the customers are getting, you know, fresh, locally raised or foraged. Wow. Um, morel mushrooms so it's really cool to support those folks and and i think it's critical in what the chefs are doing 
How do restaurants create jobs? I mean, in, in a way, you just, you, you've already t- t- touched on it for a moment, but say I go to a restaurant and it has 100 tables or 50 tables, but pick a number. How many jobs do, 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 does that represent, you think? You know, it's a question I should probably know a little bit more of the answers, number of employees per seats in the restaurant, but we could do the quick math. Sobeys is a 200-seat restaurant, and we've got about 75 employees working um, in the restaurant. So... It's, we're definitely a job creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's everything from the host that greets you to the bartender, the mm-hmm. server, the support staff, all the line cooks, the dishwashers. But the hospitality industry goes so much beyond that as far as an right. economic engine. I mean, we've got delivery folks that are delivering all of our product each day, and that includes linens and beverages and food supplies and paper goods. And so we're supporting all those different industries. Um, and then it's just a, kind of a trickle-down effect. We're buying insurance and supporting the insurance agents. Right. And we've got valet service, so we're supporting a local valet company. Mm. Uh, so it's a, it's a real – hospitality is the single largest industry in our state, tourism mm-hmm. and hospitality. Uh, so it's a huge economic engine in South Carolina. Wow, that's great. That's great. So if, if you're listening to the show and you're, you're like Carl 25, 30 years ago, like, man, I want to be in the restaurant business – and knowing what you now know, if you probably knew how hard it would be at times, you, probably, you, may, have, you may have stuck with architecture. But knowing what you now know, what would you tell the young Carl? Um, I'd just say stick with it. It's, I get great joy out of it. There's definitely ups and downs. But when you have those low points and when you're down in the dumps um, or you're in the, in the valley, whether it was the recession of 2008 or 9 or COVID-19 or even... Uh, one of my first experiences of real turmoil and question about where the future was going to be was after 9-11. Mm. Um, you know, Greenville was, had a lot of uh, business travelers, and we weren't sure if people were going to get on airplanes again. Wow. Uh, there was nobody in the restaurant those first couple of nights. Uh, people were just scared. So there's right. a lot of different periods when, when we had some very challenging times. Um, but persistence um, and sticking with it and knowing that our guests that are coming in, they need us. They need restaurants. They need a place to go and celebrate or sometimes go and commiserate. After those couple of days, like referring again to 9-11, mm-hmm. um, it was a couple of days, but then quickly afterwards, people needed to come together and be around each other and talk and talk through this and um, feel better about it. And restaurants and coffee shops and bars were really places where people did that. Right, right. COVID-19 was... a uh huge setback for just about everybody. And some states responded differently than others. South Carolina appeared to be a, a pro-business state, but there were shutdowns. How did that impact you? And then, and then how do you think, the second part of the question, how was being, a South, how was being in, in South Carolina a benefit of, of, of a restaurant tour? So that was, without a doubt, um, the single biggest challenge and point in my career where I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Um, with the business side of things. But I'll say, I guess I'll start off and answer the second part of the question. Being in South Carolina, I think, was the right place to be or or one of the best places to be. Um, We shut down for five weeks, I believe, maybe six weeks. Mm. Um, We pivoted, to use the word that everybody used, and, and tried to figure out ways to serve some food. We had a food truck, so we would bring that into different neighborhoods. Uh, on a regular basis and serve out of there and bring the food to the people. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we did delivery and takeout and carry out so we could keep some of our people going. We partnered with a gentleman named Marty Osborne, great guy here in town who wanted to give back. And we created um, a program where we were putting our people to work, uh, producing meals, and then taking those meals to the neighborhoods and, and folks that um, didn't quite have the means for meals, and we were getting meals to them. So we created a whole bunch of different um, processes, but the, the biggest thing that happened for me was somewhat of a peace. I had a, a, a real peace over me that this isn't just affecting my restaurant group or Greenville mm-hmm. or South Carolina. This is something global. So there's a whole bunch of smart people in the world, and, and we're going to figure it out, and the world's mm-hmm. not going to just come to an end right, and right, stop. Right, right, right. So then I felt at that point, I felt like somehow this is going to resolve itself. What my goal is and what my, where I need to lead is with my team of 400 associates. Mm-hmm. So I made sure to communicate with them on a daily basis to encourage them to allow them to come in and talk to us about how to get through their financial situations. We kept all of our associates um, either on payroll and giving them as much work as we could or furloughing them and helping them get the unemployment benefits. We participated in the PPP. We got, as soon as that happened, we got all of our people mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. made whole. And then my faith has grown immensely over the last decade or two, and I just started writing in the mornings and Hmm. um it was just it would just come to me and i would write a message and send it to my staff and Mm -hmm. after the first couple of days the marketing team on my staff asked if we could send that out to our database of customers Hmm. and um it went on for about 45 or 60 days and and it was just amazing um Hmm. but it's almost like if you told me today to write something and get back into it I would struggle to do it. It was like a divine intervention was wow. there, and it was just. What kind of messages were you were you putting out? You know, the season um, that was three years ago, right now. So it was Easter season. So I was um, sending a lot of things out related to um, related to Easter. Um, it was spring, mm-hmm. so everybody was home and mm-hmm. maybe struggling. So the message was, you know, let's use this time to get back in touch with our neighborhoods and our neighbors and our families. Let's spend time at the dinner table having conversations. Mm-hmm. Let's go out and walk and, and see the trees blooming and the flowers, mm-hmm. you know, coming alive that, you know, is all given to us from God. So right. it, was, right. uh, it was a pretty special time. It's powerful. That's powerful. Uh, who are your mentors? Um, there are a lot of them. There are a lot of people that over the years have impacted my life mm-hmm. and... and um, you know, from a hospitality standpoint, um, and I've, I've spent a little bit of time with him, but mainly it's through watching him. But Danny Meyer, um, mm-hmm. with the Union Square Hospitality Group in, in New York, is somebody that I've just really looked up to and, mm-hmm. and admired and respected. Locally here, um, multiple business folks have, have mentored me and spent time with me. Um, everybody from Jim Cockman years ago and Mike Goot mm-hmm. um, in those days to right now uh, David Martin with um, Search Ministries and mm-hmm. a plethora of different yeah. people that have really led me along the way to try to guide me in the right direction. Sure. Do, do you have a food show that you watch on, on, on a regular basis? I don't. I just celebrity I would, chefs. I would like... much rather be in our kitchen watching our chefs. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think yeah. the. The Food Network and the shows are, 
wonderful for our industry. Right, right. Um, but when I get home, I kind of decompress in different ways. And, I'm sure, I'm sure, um, I'm sure. Now, we have a few chefs that have participated on some of the shows, and that's yeah, always fun. Oh, well, okay. Of course, we'll, we'll watch when they're on there. And no way. We have Great. one coming up, I think, in May. That okay. Is, uh, that he competed against Beat Bobby Flay. No way, okay. So, uh, Chef Drew Erickson from camp. Okay. So as soon as we have those dates, we'll uh, we'll put together a little viewing and, <laughs> well, and a, cheer him on. That's some swag there. That's great. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So so um, you, you, Sobeys, you say, is 25 years old? 25 about, years. What was a catalyst for Sobeys? And, and more importantly, in, in our show, Studying Way of Success, we like to talk about setbacks. There's really no success I've ever met without a setback, at least temporary. So what obstacles did, did you face with, with opening Sobeys? And what was it like? Because Greenville was a different town 25 years ago. And oh actually, you, you're, you're, you know, you could argue, but you're part of the change, right? You bring food and culture. And I know when, I, when I've looked at, at traveling places, food has an impact. If I go to a place and the restaurants just aren't that good, I'm like, nah, I don't know. You know, I'm not, I'm, I, I'll go there, but, but I'm more encouraged <clears throat> if you have not, not nice, nice restaurants and, and, and not a nice scenery. So Sobeys, 25 years ago, tell us the obstacles and the catalyst for Sobeys. You know, I think, so the obstacles are, are pretty easy for me. They, um, I started in 1993 with a restaurant called The 858. Okay. And I had a couple of business partners, and I had only worked for somebody. Um, I didn't have a culinary degree. I didn't have a marketing or a business degree. I had an architecture degree. But I'd been in the business three years, and I felt like I'd sponged and learned as much as I could. Um, and then I just went out on a, on a limb and, and was fortunate enough to open a place with a chef partner and then a business partner. And we had a pretty wild success ride for a couple of years. And then there were some growth opportunities and chances to do some other things. And we sort of, three people, we got on three different pages. And mm. I decided that the best thing for me to do was to step away and, and let them go in a direction that they saw fit. And for me, I would look for a new place. So my big setback and challenge was I was in something day to day for a couple of years, yeah. um, poured everything into it, uh, and then just stepped away and had to look for a new place. And that took about a year and a half um, to find a place and get it up and running. But, and then the challenge was, okay, you're going to go down to the south end of Main Street near the Greenville News and the Peace Center. The only hotel on Main Street in downtown was the Hyatt at that time. Um, and we were, my old restaurant was right across the street from the Hyatt. And nobody really stayed downtown right. after five o'clock. Right. Um, so we put all our eggs in the basket of the Peace Center had 75 or 80 nights a year where it was programmed. Nowadays, I think it's probably well over 200. Sure. Uh, but I said, okay, well, weekends <clears throat> we can get people to come downtown and those 75 or 80 mm -hmm. nights... Let's, let's just take a chance and do it. Sure, sure. And so we, um, I say we, my new business partner uh, mm -hmm. that I went into that with was the chef, and mm -hmm. I was going to run the front of the house. Mm -hmm. And we poured everything into it for about six months, building the tables and um, tiling the restaurant, the mm -hmm. restrooms, and mm -hmm. just did all the work ourselves. And oh, wow. So it was all blood, sweat, and tears. And the skinny mirror, the famous skinny the mirror. The famous right? skinny mirror <laughs> in the ladies' room. <laughs> After yeah. 25 years, we had to remodel and take it out. Um, so we opened up with a bang and, um, and had a great first year. And then 
the Westin Poinsett Hotel was announced that it was going to be revived mm -hmm. and remodeled. And a huge challenge was about a year into our operation, things going great, they put a post right on the corner of our building and a fence around the entire square of Court Square for 18 months while they redid the asphalt into brick pavers oh, and they enhanced wow. the park and they built and they did the west end. So it was like, okay, this has been great, but we've got to now hold on for another 18 months, 24 months until that hotel opens. And it ended up being fine. It was nerve wracking at first because people would have to park behind us and walk around the block to get to the front door and things. But, oh, wow. Um, but it was, it was wonderful. It worked out. The Peace Center was there, and everybody was anticipating, excited about the next hotel. So for those first few years, we were kind of on an island down there uh, from 97 through two, until 2000 when the hotel opened. And then, as, as you know, you came about 17 years ago, you said, and so you've seen the explosion south to sure. the park, uh, the falls in the park, and the mm -hmm. baseball stadium. Sure. And, everything in between so it's been wow. a fun ride it has been it has been so which what restaurants do you, do you have now so we still obviously have Sobeys our flagship behind Sobeys uh, for 20 years we ran Sobeys on the side mm -hmm. a little breakfast and lunch cafe and we closed that during uh, the pandemic um, and we rebranded it and reopened three months ago as the Jones Oyster Company mm -hmm. we have the nosedive a gastropub right next to the Westin and we have the Lazy Goat down on the river next mm -hmm. to the Hampton Inn and Suites. Mm -hmm. We have Camp in Camperdown Plaza, a freestanding building in there. We love that location. We have Southern Press Juicery. It's a plant-based. It's all cold-pressed juice and smoothies and acai energy bowls. Mm -hmm. We have a food truck, a catering business, and a couple of private event venues. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. So, so 25 years ago, you're, you're, opening, you're opening Sobeys. Did you ever think you'd be where you are today? My goal was to take Sobeys and transition it and turn it into two or three or four restaurants. Okay. Um, I think now we've done 16. Uh, <laughs> we've had some failures. You mentioned earlier, you know, an entrepreneur and you try something and you're going to fail. We've had some that didn't make it, that we closed, we rebranded, we retooled. Um, and we've had three, probably the thing I'm most excited about and, and gives me the greatest satisfaction. We have three restaurants we've turned over to our, sold to our managers and chefs. Mm -hmm. And That's so right. Poppy's Tacos, um, he is now the sole proprietor of Poppy's Tacos. And Michael Kramer is uh, sole proprietor and chef at Gianna. Mm -hmm. And Michael Minnelli is the sole proprietor and owner of Passerel Bistro. Oh, wow. So all those were restaurants that we started, and we did them together, and then they um, eventually bought in and then bought the restaurants from us. And I was 55 last year, but really it was probably when I turned 50, you kind of look at where are you and sure. what's your impact and what's the legacy right. and mm -hmm. are you making a difference? And I thought, um, you know, one of the things that I want to do is I want these restaurants to live on. And so mm -hmm. where's the next generation of entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and operators? And what a wonderful way to help people that have helped me get to where our company is and to give them the same opportunity that people helped me and sure. helped me get to. So sure. it's, it's been a lot of fun, and hopefully there's more to come. Absolutely. So what's your next chapter? Um, I really love being more involved in some of the social issues and, and um, challenges that Greenville faces, whether that's um, upward economic mobility or affordable housing or transportation. 
Uh, so I'm kind of working on some of those projects where I can behind the scenes mm -hmm. with, with groups um, and doing some of the philanthropy work. Uh, we still have, we just did the Jones Oyster Bar and we've got um, a property that we've got a lease on out at Bridgeway Station in Malden. That'll be our first venture outside of downtown, um, but we'll go into that with a, with a managing partner and, mm -hmm. and eventually turn that restaurant over to them. And then we just hired a chef last year that um, came from, he's French, but he spent 10 years in New York and he worked in a Michelin star restaurant there. Oh, wow. And he's here and he's on our team. And mm -hmm. um, kind of my two final things that I would love to attain and, and shoot for are to open a Michelin caliber Michelin star restaurant. You mm -hmm. and I talked about it. Mm -hmm. Michelin doesn't necessarily have a rating program in the Carolinas, um, but if they did, we would want to hit all the criteria that that mm -hmm. restaurant would earn a, mm -hmm. a star. And I think it adds to what's missing in Greenville. I mentioned earlier, we've got mm -hmm. so many different ethnicities, ethnic cuisines. We've got Southern cuisine. We've got, you know, coastal and, um, and almost just everything covered. What Greenville, I think, what we're missing right now is a real white tablecloth, fine dining, mm -hmm. special occasion, mm -hmm. experience um, dining room. Not the kind of place that you have 100 seats. It's probably a 40, 50, 60 seat right. restaurant. Um, and instead of going and having a quick dinner at Sobeys and walking across the street to the Peace Center for your evening's experience, this would be the dining and the fellowship with the people at the table. That would be your experience. And it would last two and a half hours. Oh, wow. So, so how many courses would, would that entail, you think? <clears throat> right now, we're actually testing it. Um, okay. We're doing a little pop-up restaurant in the Sobeys Loft, and we selected um, 12 days in February and March that we mm -hmm. didn't have anything going on, and we, we did a six-course tasting menu, and then wines paired with it, and after Chef threw in a couple of extra courses to uh, entice people and, and treat them, it ended up being about an eight-course tasting menu and wow. took a little over two hours. Sure. Uh, but people are just raving about the experience, the quality of the food, the creativity of it, and literally the time together at the table. Wow. Uh, wow. So it's been, it's been really special, and the pop-up is, is kind of telling us and indicating that there is, Greenville has reached that density where we can hopefully support a 50-seat restaurant like that. Wow, wow, wow. When you came to Greenville, I mean, ballpark, how many restaurants were here then versus now? I think in the central business district downtown, um, when I first got here in the mid-90s, there were just under 100 food service okay. restaurants. Um, majority of those were lunch places and coffee shops. Right. Uh, now we're up over 200. Okay. So the density is more than doubled, but I would also say that the, they're more full service and, and larger um, capacity, mm -hmm. more offerings. Uh, so it's definitely grown immensely. The amazing thing, Eric, is that every time somebody opens up, your, your normal tendency is to say, oh, I don't know, is the market saturated? Is it going to slow us down? Are they going to take away from our seats? We have five restaurants to compare with what's going on in town, mm -hmm. and we're not seeing, as somebody else opens, we're not seeing our customer counts go down, our sales volume go down. It's, um, it's, you know, it's probably similar to that. The old adage, I mean, people just want to be where there's a lot of people. Right. So, you know, every corner that has a McDonald's, 
now has a Burger King and a Wendy's right. and a Taco Bell. <laughs> right, right, right. It's, you know, clustering and putting things together right. and giving people choices. So if there's more opportunity and more choices, then more people will make destination, make downtown a destination. Are there demographic, we do some real estate things, as you know, but are, are, there, are there demographics that, that, that you look for? Is there income or population density or foot traffic, car traffic? Are there things that, that are, are there more of a gut feel for you? Like, I think this works because of these other things I see. Yeah, for me, it's, it's more of a gut feel. Um, if, I were, if I were to go to Raleigh or Durham or Charleston or something, I would need to look at some data and some numbers and mm-hmm. different statistics. Um, but for me, I feel like after 30 years, I just kind of know. Mm-hmm. And the one number that I do pay attention to, though, is with the hotel growth. And so the downtown hotels, um, as I mentioned, in, in the mid-'90s, we had one hotel, 300 right. rooms at the Hyatt. And now we've got 24 or 2,500 hotel rooms downtown. And so great that we know that number, but how many of them are full? Well, the hotel industry keeps great numbers, and we're running close to 80% occupancy downtown. So on any given night, you know, there's in excess of 2,000 people downtown looking to eat. Looking to eat. They, right. they don't have, you know, kitchens in their hotel rooms. So there's 2,000 folks minimum, you know, going out looking for somewhere to dine. Great, great. You don't have any restaurants that are inside of a hotel at this point, right? They're 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 near hotels. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Is there an advantage or disadvantage in your mind of, of partnering or being actually a hotel restaurant? So, that my answer to that question has changed two or three times over the thirty years. Thirty years ago, um, there was a significant advantage to being in a hotel and a hotel restaurant, and then for a period of fifteen or twenty. Um, everybody wanted to leave their hotel mm-hmm. and go outside and be mm-hmm. at the local independent mm-hmm. operators mm-hmm. place. And now it's come back around to where a lot of your Michelin star restaurants, your, mm-hmm. um, your higher end fine dining are actually located in a hotel. And not sure if this is particularly the reason why, but for me, and as, as I mentioned, we're looking for a place to do that white tablecloth restaurant. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to walk in off the sidewalk into the front door, let's use Sobeys as an example. For what Sobeys is, it works great. You want people to see the energy mm-hmm. and this and that. Mm-hmm. But if you're going out to this elegant evening, I want people to walk into a hotel lobby and have this little separation from the sidewalk to the lobby. And then you get into the lobby and you start to feel this elegance of looking up at the grandiose um, ceilings mm-hmm. and the light fixtures. And then from there, you walk through into the dining room or into the restaurant and you have a little space there and then you mm-hmm. go into the dining room. And so it's as much about the entrance and, and the approach to the restaurant as then it also is for the diner. I don't want the diners to be distracted with the front door opening every five minutes mm-hmm. and somebody coming in. I want the dining room to be all about what's just happening at your table mm-hmm. um, and with the people that you're with. Because I think, I think that's one of the greatest things about the restaurant business, the restaurant industry, and, and dining is that, that fellowship, mm-hmm. you know, that time together where hopefully we can put our devices away and we can just be present with each mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. And if there's a lot of distractions around, I think it, it detracts from, from that experience. Great. How do you find your concepts? And then after you find it, how do you go from concept to execution? So the architecture, I think, uh, came in handy with some mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. Um, that one of the first pieces of advice that I got in this business, three pieces of advice I was told, was location, location, location. So I am 
very, um, very focused on finding the right location for our businesses. And if you look around, Sobeys, granted it was our first, but I put a stake in the ground down there knowing that the city leaders had every intention of taking Main Street and stretching it north and south. And if we did that, one day we would be in the center of downtown right there at Court mm -hmm. Square. And then uh, right across the street, as the Poinsett Plaza building was going up, I identified that property as, wow, we're going to have this beautiful new 12-story building uh, anchored by a bank and the newly renovated historic Weston Poinsett Hotel. How awesome would it be to be right there? That's where Nosedive is now. At the time, it was Restaurant O, a mm -hmm. higher-end steakhouse. And then the Lazy Goat on the river, this brand-new project looking over the river and mm -hmm. the falls and the Peace Center. So the answer is that I first look for location, <coughs> mm -hmm. and then through my travels and, and going to other cities and finding out what's going on in those cities, identify, wow, that's a great concept, a great cuisine. Mm -hmm. It's not here in Greenville. Let's try to develop something like that. So the nosedive is a gastropub. We didn't have anybody doing... Um, Essentially, a gastropub is comfort food, mm -hmm. um, more uh, fish and chips and burgers mm -hmm. and things like that, mm -hmm. but everything made from scratch. Mm -hmm. So it's not – all of our restaurants aren't 100% farm-to-table because you can't get that many local products, but everything is – raw product is purchased and brought in and broken mm -hmm. down. We don't buy pre-manufactured, processed foods in okay. the restaurants. Um, so, yeah, looking for a location first and then trying to figure out what Greenville's maybe missing. Mm -hmm. And also what fits that space. Lazy Goat's a great example of I felt like when I was on that balcony at the Lazy Goat with the waterfall behind me and the river and the amphitheater, like I was in a European city. So it kind of right. felt like the Mediterranean. And sure. We didn't have Mediterranean, so that's As, okay. the deduction process that got us to let's do a Mediterranean concept here. Well, and then, then do you find a chef or do you find – at the IFC, have a concept first, then you find a chef, or is it kind again, of... Again, a little bit. They kind of intertwine and go hand in hand. We also, um, at this point, we're promoting from within. So we look at our talent pool, and we look at who's mm -hmm. ready for something or who's asking for the next challenge, and look at their skill set, and then try to marry their, mm -hmm. their cuisine type and their skill set into what we feel that next location will be, be designed for. Fantastic. And and do you, do you expect to grow at a, at a at an increasing rate given how you have now four hundred uh, associates? Yeah, if it if it's up to me and 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 I'll point to you, but <laughs> yeah. you or anybody would stop coming to us and showing yeah. us these amazing opportunities, then yeah. I would like to <laughs> actually slow down and back off of the right, right, restaurant right. side of things and and focus more, like I said, on some of the some right. of the issues that are impacting our community. Listen, if we don't if we don't pay attention and take care of some of these things, affordable housing or workforce housing, whatever sure. we want to call it. I mean, it's a real issue. We, we're building these beautiful luxury apartments and condos that, you know, the one percenters can live in. But every day I look out my window and I go down into our restaurant and the people that are making this engine work, they're, you know, they're earning a decent wage, but they're not earning a wage where they can spend $3,000 a month right. to live right. downtown. Right. So we've got to take care of, you know, teachers and firemen and police officers and uh, frontline restaurant workers and service providers. Um, it, it, they're all an equal part of what's going on. And so I, that's just my soapbox. On well, I, no, I'd love to hear that. So, so let's talk about what does that look like to you? Is there housing, you know, 
was was it look like? Is it nearby? Is it is it? Uh, I've, I've looked at some trends. I like real estate, as you know, and I've seen uh, communal housing. Right? They're, they're, they're private rooms. They're also the shared space. Yeah. It's kind of a, a popular in Europe, you know. And I would imagine in, in some of the more major cities here. But but there are lot, lots of theories on it. I think it's important too. Um, to, 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 to the extent you've, you've vetted that in your mind, if you have any ideas, that's exciting. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different answers and solutions, and there's the Greenville Housing Fund is working diligently towards it. Um, and so we are making progress, and there's a huge amount of awareness right now. Um, Matt McFeely is doing a project um, on Rutherford Road, so it's a couple miles from, mm -hmm. from downtown. And I guess it's really irrelevant if it's downtown or not, but I'm thinking about the significant amount of workforce mm -hmm. that comes and drives into downtown sure. and they have to live five, 10 miles outside of town sure. to get, get that affordable housing. Um, but Matt's doing a project that's co-living. So similar to what you mentioned, it's got one common living room and kitchen and then either four or six, um, you know, bedroom suites with, a, sure. with an ensuite bathroom. And so the cost you can go down because you're only building one kitchen right. Um, right. living area per, per unit. Uh, so I think projects like that, um, I think if there's properties in the central business district that are maybe 15, 20, 30 years old, I'm not a real estate guy, so maybe maybe the numbers don't work, but a place that's already um, matured and paid off notes and debts that that and it doesn't have the newest, most modern fixtures and finishes, mm -hmm. that we can transition those into um, nice um, and Places people are proud to live at, mm -hmm. but that we don't have to, mm -hmm. we don't have to be paying three thousand dollars for a two bedroom. Yeah, that, that's huge. Apartment. That's huge. That's huge. Um, g g g going back to restaurants, as we prepare to close, two more questions. Uh, one is, is if I wanted to learn more about you and, and your Table Three Hundred One, how would I do that? Uh, so our website's a great place to go, Table Three Hundred One dot com. Um, but I'm also uh, I love coffee and I love wine, and I'm also very, very <laughs> open to. I'm in the restaurant, um, you know, not as many evenings as I used to be, but right. I love to just see people if they're if they're in one of our restaurants. Um, our staff is well versed on our company. Uh, I just I do a monthly new hire orientation. Okay. One of the things I talk to them about um, is, and I, actually, you just made me think of this. Is I want them to be an extension of me. So if somebody comes into the restaurant and wants to learn more about it. I want our staff to be well-versed on our company and our culture and our philosophies um, and our community. And I implore all of our people to be ambassadors for Greenville. You okay. Love where you live, love where you work, and share our story with our customers. Um, but in today's day and age, I mean, going and Googling Table 301 and jumping on our website, you can learn all about the individual restaurants and the people behind sure, it. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, and, and one thing, as a business owner, I'm, I'm super impressed with when you go from one location to multiple locations. I mean, I recognize the logistical, the employee, the the management, the consistency, branding, all that goes in that. 400 employees. You don't you don't you don't come up an architectural school and say, "Ooh, I'm going to manage 400 people and all, all march in the same direction." Your first enterprise, 858. You you experience you know three people, three three visions. So what advice do you have as an entrepreneur who says, I'm having a hard time managing myself and two other people, how do you make that next step to where you go from small business to larger business? I mean, do you have any, any clues? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the single biggest thing is find out, find the things that you love to do and focus on those and find the things that are needed in the business that aren't your favorite things to do and surround yourself with people that have those skills. Um, uh, share, the, share the praise and share the gratitude mm-hmm. um, and take care of your people. It, it, at the end of the day, you know, and this is one of the things why I love Danny Meyer so, so much, all the time I was coming up in this business, the philosophy was the customer's always right. And Danny Meyer flipped it and said, or customer's number one, customer's always right. And Danny Meyer flipped it and said, no, the employee is number one. And if we take care of our employees, they'll take care of our customers. Mm-hmm. And so we've adopted you know, that similar philosophy. Uh, we want to take care of others. We want to take care of our internal guests, our people, and we want to take care of our external guests. Sure. Uh, and I'll, I'll kind of close this segment with this section with uh, part of our philosophy comes from uh, a book called The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. Okay. And um, there's several, um, several chapters in there, but my favorite was The Law of Value. And so we have it posted in the restaurant. We share it with our team. And if you can't remember The Law of Value, we tell people, then remember exceeding expectations, treating others as you want to be treated going above and beyond. But the law of value says that your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. And we just want to take great care of our people. We want to give them more value than they expected when they came through the door to work. And our same thing with our guests. They come in expecting to spend $100 and getting a nice meal and a glass of wine. I want to give them a $200 experience by the way we treated them and the little extras that we did and take care of them. And if we we treat our employees that same way and we treat our guests that way, there's going to be a lot more room for success or a lot higher chance of success. Fantastic. And, and thanks for joining me today. I, I, I love your restaurant. I go by, uh, I walk by Jones, Jones Oyster Bar, your, your newest edition. I was so excited to see it. And I was so excited to walk in and sit down, but that was not my experience. It was like, we're busy. I gave my number, uh, and I will, we'll text you. And I, I was so excited. I waited. And I think I've done more commerce with businesses near you than and I've done in the last 15 years, in the last two, two months. And I'm always thinking, Jones, always, am I going to go back to Jones? And I'm just like, are they less busy at 2? Maybe 3 o'clock is a good time. So... So, so c- c- congratulations. Thank Every there looks like they're having a great time. They're happy. They're and they're enjoy- enjoying their experience. So, so th- thanks for all you do to give Thank back you. in our community and and your concern and heart for, for for our community and our issues that we deal with. So, thanks for joining me again for another episode of Studying Your Way of Success with, with my special guest today, C- C- Carl Subinski. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Eric. Enjoyed it.